Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Uh, today we're getting into UFC Vegas 81 predictions. But, but, what is going on? What has just gone on? If you've been living under a rock, what I'm about to tell you is going to blow your mind. Uh, if you've been keeping up with UFC news, you'll already know what I'm about to tell you. But what the hell is going on? So first of all, Main event for next weekend's card. Charles Oliveira in Abu Dhabi challenging the champion, Islam Makashev. Charles has to pull out. Gets a nasty gash uh, around the eyebrow area. Charles pulls out. I'm checking my Instagram, like not even thinking anything. Just thinking I'm going to see some reels or some shit, like nothing groundbreaking. Alexander Volkanovsky has stepped up on 11 days notice. Holy shit. Charles Oliveira, one of my favorite fighters in the world. But I love Volkanovsky more. You think about the fight between Islam uh, and these two potential challenges. Volk pushed Islam all the way in Perth earlier this year. That was in Perth, Volk's hometown. This one going to be in Abu Dhabi, Islam's hometown. Holy shit. So Charles out, Volk in. Off the couch, all the way to Abu Dhabi. 11 days notice to fight someone like Islam Makashev, who even with a full camp, we've seen Volkanovsky taken to his absolute limit. Unbelievable. 11 days notice, Volk is a machine. It's crazy that this doesn't even really surprise me. But it's fucking crazy. Apparently he just got back from a family holiday. Although one thing I did read as well, Volkanovsky's idea of a family holiday is a bit different to ours. Like I'm thinking some fish and chips. I'm thinking sitting on my ass on the couch. Volkanovsky stays ready. I mean, this guy is a fucking king. He probably couldn't even get me to go to like a wedding on 11 days notice, let alone to fucking have to fight this most hectic Dagestani guy who has followed immediately in the footsteps of Habib. Uh, but that is why Volk is just built different. And yeah, as a Kiwi and an Australian, fucking oath. I was just about to start uh, my tape and doing my study for the next card, considering I've done everything uh, for UFC Vegas 81, which is what we're essentially here to talk about today. Uh, but I was just about to start my tape. I'd actually watched the first fight on my agenda, which was going back and watching Islam uh, up against Charles, which is what I thought was to be the main event. Uh, so huge shake-up. That's only shake-up number one. My fave, a lot of our fave, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, it feels like he just knew there was something with Volkanovsky where he was asking for this title shot. It went to Charles. He had Ilya lined up, and sometimes timing can be a very funny thing uh, in mixed martial arts. And if you miss 
your opportunity to strike while the iron's hot, you might not get in uh, with a shot. Think Benil Dariush, how many fights he had to win, and then he just had to win one more, uh, but against Charles, fell short. So you never know. You know, Conor McGregor, I mean, and a part of the news as well that's fucking dropped, USADA have totally scrapped UFC from January next year. I can't even begin to talk about that. That's just part of the many what the fuck's going on. It looks like everyone's going to get juiced again. I think, I don't know, my personal feel is it's pretty fucking hectic if it does become, like, you know, free reign again. Because you can end people's lives, like... There is, it's not like, you know, baseball where you're fucking just hitting home runs. Like you are caving people's skulls in at times. So yeah, that's a conversation for another day. But USADA at the window. So Conor McGregor, he could juice himself up to fucking middleweight, which is what he looks like at the moment. Maybe he takes uh, some kind of funky secret stuff that gets him back down to 155. And then boom, like he's in the lightweight picture. You've got Justin Gaethje waiting. Volk, the featherweight champion with defenses to make. Uh, so, who knows if they would have gone back to this matchup? Islam, look, he looks like a very hard champion to beat, but hypothetically, imagine Islam loses in his next defense. Like, the timing had to be right, and Volkanovsky was ready. He mentioned Abu Dhabi immediately after he'd lost. Uh, to Islam earlier this year, which to be honest, I'd had a lot of fucking beers, so I was not uh, in a position to actually judge the fight. In fact, I watched the fourth and fifth rounds uh, from the back of a police car, but that is another story. So I, I have to go back and watch the fight, and I have, but I'm just, I don't watch those things uh, in the mind of a judge. It's a very close fight. They are going to run it back. Volk has stayed ready. Holy fuck. Now, Paulo Costa seems to be more active on Twitter than in the cage. Uh, not that I can fucking talk. Uh, so he pulled out of the Rob Whitaker fight. He was talking about getting paid more. Uh, the Ikram Aliskarov fight got scratched. Uh, but Ikram, on this card, who is a prospect I rate very highly, Ikram Aliskarov was supposed to face Nasuddin Imavov. Imavov out. So that's actually one of the ones that's kind of flown under the radar with the two main events being changed. Uh, but Ikram Aleskarov now going to take on Wally Alves. So there you go. Uh, but co-main event, Kamza Chemaev, or Hamza Chemaev, and Paulo Costa. Real personal element there. Like, that was a fight I was super keen to see. Because uh, it seemed like Costa really wanted to knock this guy out. And Chimaev, well, I, I think I'm personally interested in seeing fucking anything he's involved in uh, as far as the octagon. So we had Chimaev, Costa, Costa again. Scratched bout. This time elbow surgery. So, I mean, yeah, UFC pulled him. He said he wanted to fight. It's better. It's better he doesn't fight if he can't physically do it. So who steps in? Uh, fucking Kamaru Usman, which is just like Volk and Usman. These are not guys who need to take a short notice opportunity. These are made fucking men. And particularly 
I mean, both cases is hectic. But for Kamaru Usman, who we haven't seen since he lost that second or third in the trilogy uh, fight to Leon Edwards, all of a sudden he's ready to go in just 10 days against Hamzat Chemaev, a fight that we thought at one stage that could be for the welterweight title, this at middleweight. Now if Usman wins, Izzy is no longer the champion at 185. Does Usman immediately go for that title shot? And how does that work? Does Israel get first shot against Strickland? Or do they go Kamaro? A lot of interesting questions. Hamza Chemaev, he's moved up to middleweight. He's making that leap. Costa would have been a huge test. Huge test for him. Now he's facing Kamaru Usman, uh, which is more of a welterweight, although he could be a fucking elite middleweight as well. You're cutting less weight to get there. So two changes at the top of the card. Now we have Volkanovski up against Islam Makashev, Hamzat Chemaev up against Kamaru Usman. Shut up and take my money. I am sold. Uh, so you better believe that I'll be going all in uh, for the UFC 294 predictions podcast. But today we're going to go through UFC Vegas 81. And which, when you think about next weekend's Abu Dhabi card, I mean, fucking hell, it is a bit anticlimactic to have to dial it back and be like, well, first we hit the apex. Uh, but that's not due to a lack of talent on this card or some exciting fights headlined by two featherweights. Well, who knows? We're hearing if Folk does win, that he may just stay at lightweight and that one thing I read, potentially Ilya Tapuria, Max Holloway for the featherweight belt uh, or potentially that being an interim fight if Folk is coming back but isn't ready by January. So there are a lot of things at play here. At the top of the card this weekend, two featherweights, yes sirree, who are going to want to add their name into that title shot mix. You have Super Sadiq Yusuf, uh, just a tank of a man. He really hasn't put a foot wrong in the UFC other than a loss to Arnold Allen. He'll be taking on one of the most legendary strikers and knockout artists the UFC has ever seen in Brazil's Edson Barboza, once an explosive lightweight, now a 145er, and he has been for some time, got a couple of sweet knockouts on the resume, and that is just one reason uh, to get excited about this card, which should be some fun, but yeah, then when you look ahead, again respectfully to the fighters, uh, but when you look ahead to what's coming next weekend, it's just like, fuck. My goodness. Uh, so we're going to get into it today. How it's going to work. Rapid prelim predictions. So given it's in the Apex, when it's an Apex card, I just do a shorter format. Because I'm like, well, if it's in the Apex, why not? So I'm going to go through the prelims basically in one go. I'll just touch on the fight, their records, any notable things that come to mind. And then we'll just keep the train rolling. Then for the main card... I'll go fight by fight, uh, but there are two fights on the card that were put together on short notice. So the short notice main card fights will also be rapid predictions. So essentially, 
I know it's been a very long intro, but now we're going to speed things on up. It's time to get amongst it. UFC Vegas 81 predictions. What a mouthful that was, bloody hell. Alright, let's get into my predictions. If you can hear rain in the background, uh, that's just because it's pissing down at the moment in Melbourne. Uh, But let's get to it. Six fights on the preliminary portion in the Apex this weekend. Kicking off in the women's strawweight division. 35-year-old Ashley Yoda, eight wins, eight losses. Up against Emily Ducote, 29 years old, 12 wins, eight losses. Uh, Now, significant reach advantage for Ashley Yoda here, so that could definitely come into play. Both women enter this fight on a two-fight slide. Now, Ashley Yoda, we actually haven't seen uh, since 2021, so it's been a hot minute. Uh, And Emily Ducote, she is riding back-to-back losses as well, most recently to Lupi Godinez. Uh, Before that, she was just totally taught a lesson uh, by Angela Hill who funnily enough beat both these women uh, as part of their two consecutive losses. So pretty hard to pick a winner here with any confidence. Reach advantage could definitely be a factor for Ashley Yoda, but I'm going to go Emily Ducote. I believe she's a former Invicta uh, champion. Is it Invicta or is it the other? I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me. I think it might have been Invicta. Uh, but Emily Ducote, she's showing signs of promise. Uh, two consecutive losses has kind of hampered her momentum. Uh, but just on the eye of kind of what I saw when I went back and watched tape, without a great deal of confidence, I'm going to back in Emily Ducote. As far as method of victory, uh, I can see this one going the distance for sure. So I'm going to lock in my first pick. Emily Ducote over Ashley Yoda by decision. Next up, a fight that's been thrown together on short notice. Uh, Chris Gutierrez, who was supposed to be facing Montel Quick Jackson last weekend, up against Alatung Haile, who I can't remember who he was originally supposed to face. Oh, it's right here. Lol. Rani Yaya. Uh, But Alatung Haile, 16 wins, 8 losses, 2 draws. Had a bit of a patchy time in the UFC but is coming off two massive wins. Made light work of Kevin Kroom. I dusted him off within the first minute. And then after that, Alatung Haile with a great decision win over the Canadian Chad Anhelliger, uh, which is a really decent name in terms of if you're floating well outside the top 15. Anhelliger is a really decent name to add to your resume. Uh, so it seems like Alatung Haile the 31-year-old might be putting things together. He may finally have that experience and been in the UFC for enough time uh, to the point where he's bringing the best version of himself. But Chris Gutierrez, 19 wins, 5 losses, 2 draws. He was in a hot patch of form uh, until his last appearance, a loss to Pedro Munoz uh, by decision. Before that, he knocks out Batgaral Dinar, who at that stage hadn't been knocked out in his career. And then after that, a very impressive knockout uh, in the final fight of Frankie Edgar's career. 
So Gutierrez, his trajectory was trending upward. He did suffer a setback uh, up against Pedro Munoz. Now this one's been thrown together and it's going to be interesting stylistically as to how they match up given that they were preparing uh, for different opponents. But Alatung Hali, I mean, this could be the win he needs to really propel him for, uh, himself forward in the bantamweight division. I like Chris Gutierrez, though. I'm going to take Chris Gutierrez by decision. I think knockout, a strong possibility as well. This is another one where there's not a great deal of deep thought behind why I think Gutierrez is going to win by decision. It's more so... I've been paying attention to both these guys. I've gone back, watched the tape, done all my usual shit. And I just feel like Gutierrez, he's good enough to get the win. Now, in mixed martial arts, being good enough is one thing. But if you get caught uh, by a strike, which Alatung Haile can absolutely do, if you go back and look at the Kevin Kroom fight, uh, it can turn the fight on its head. Gutierrez, he'll be hoping to avoid a second straight defeat. And I'll back him in to get the win. So locking in the second pick, Chris Gutierrez by decision. After that, we have Russian Ronda. That's what she calls herself, Arena Alexeva, up against the debutante from England in Melissa Dixon. Uh, only one year separating them. Alexeva 33, Dixon 32. Melissa Dixon a 5-0 record, unblemished, no losses. Uh, Russian Ronda. Five and one. Now, what's impressive for Russian Ronda, she came out in her UFC debut and made very light work of Stephanie Egger. No easy feat, but she missed weight. I'm pretty sure she missed weight badly as well. So that's as f much as I'm going to fucking talk about that fight. Because yes, it was impressive, but also had a massive advantage. Melissa Dixon, uh, she's taken a different path than a lot of these English fighters who'll go through cage warriors and the like. Melissa Dixon, a couple of fights in France under the Ares FC banner. In this one, I don't have a great deal of confidence either way, once again. But I'm going to go Melissa Dixon by decision. Uh, Russian Ronda, she has a bit of hype now after the big finish. I just personally am not huge when fighters miss weight badly. So, I kind of don't... I mean, I do count that win she had over Stephanie Egger. A win's a win. But it definitely doesn't hold as much weight in my mind. Which, I don't think she gives a shit <laughs> how much weight it holds in my mind. Uh, but still, it's significantly less impressive when you have a major advantage through being a few pounds heavier and not having to cut uh, the most brutal pounds of all. The last couple... So yeah, I'm going to go Melissa Dixon by decision. Moving on, Terence McKinney, T-Rex, got himself back on track with a finish over Mike Breeden uh, very recently. He's got a short notice opponent here, Brendan Marot, 27 years old. Uh, look, Terence has a massive reach advantage here. Also the biggest favorite on the card. I've seen a lot of people who just do not rate Brandon uh, Marot. They reckon he's could potentially be a can's quite disrespectful, maybe just not UFC caliber. But I don't know. I went back and watched his tape. Terence McKinney is prone to a slip up, so I don't think 
you know, it's outrageous to suggest that Brendan could pull off the upset here. Uh, but I like McKinney a lot. He's explosive. He comes out there looking to finish the fight early. Now, when he's taken on uh, some pretty tough guys, like Drew Dober uh, comes to mind. And uh, what was the other fucking dude's name? Sadikov, I believe. Let me just go back and look. Uh, Nazim Sadikov and Ismail Bonfin. Like, when he's been taking on some real killers, he has had the tendency to get caught. I just don't believe his opponent on this occasion, uh, with all respect to Brendan Marot, I don't believe he's in the same category as your Ismail Bonfims uh, and Drew Dobers. So I think McKinney gets the finish. Uh, whether it's knockout or submission, not sure, but I reckon he can do it in round one. So let's lock in the next pick, Terence T-Rex McKinney by first round knockout. After that, Tayanara Lisboa up against Ravina Oliveira. Uh, Oliveira 7-1-1 one one record, and Tayanara Lisboa 6 wins, 2 losses. Lisboa, interestingly, has a Muay Thai background, and when I was going back and watching her tape, I actually found footage of her in a fight against Valentina Shevchenko back in the day. Uh, so not mixed martial arts, but I did find it interesting to watch that. Uh, Valentina was all over her, uh, for what it's worth. But Tainara Lisboa, coming off a big win on debut, uh, gets the submission over Jessica Rose Clark, and parlays that, hopefully for her, into back-to-back -back wins to make herself a threat in the women's bantamweight division. Ravina Oliveira, though, Seven wins, six of them. I just want to fact check myself before I say this. Yep, that is correct. Six of her seven wins by knockout or technical knockout. Uh, so while she's not a household name, it's actually Oliveira's debut. She could be poised here. I want to say for the upset, but I actually haven't checked the betting odds. So I don't know who the favorite is. Uh, but Tainara Lisboa, I'm going to take her to get the win by submission. Not a lot of science behind the method of victory. I just think, look, a lot of women's bantamweight fights go the distance. When I look at this one, I think it has more potential than your average fight in this division uh, to actually end inside the distance. I think both women will be looking for a finish, particularly Oliveira. And I'm not sold on Lisboa winning particularly by submission. I just like to include a method of victory as well. So I'm pretty solid on Tainara Lisboa. I think she can make it two from two in the UFC. And fuck it, we're gonna go submission. Tainara Lisboa by submission. Now, the featured prelim. Darren Damage Elkins, 27 and 11 record against downtown TJ Brown. 33 years old, 17 wins, 10 losses. Look, if you ask me who the better fighter is, I'd say Darren Elkins. The man's copped so much damage, though, even in his most recent fights. And I feel like the damage, it continues to accumulate. He's now 39 years old. And this is a situation where I think Elkins is the better fighter. Uh, but I'm taking this one to go the distance. And we see Elkins get cut open a lot especially in striking exchanges. And yeah, I'm gonna go TJ Brown by decision. I just think 
Elkins has taken a fucking ton of beatings, and that's his whole M.O. He's not nicknamed Damage for a reason, and he's actually famous for coming back from the jaws of defeat and snatching victory. So he's as dangerous an opponent as TJ Brown has ever seen. And yeah, I'm going TJ to win, but as far as featherweights who are, you know, on top 15 trajectory, I don't know if I really see that for TJ Brown. Uh, But yeah, I guess we'll see. Featured prelim, I am going to roll with downtown TJ Brown by decision. On to the main card portion of UFC Vegas 81. Uh, I will say, I just watched the weigh-ins. Edson Barboza, fucking hell. Big weight cut for both guys in the main event. Uh, But Edson Barboza did not look fantastic. Not that you really expect anyone to look fantastic during a weight cut. uh, But it's a big cut. And yeah. This, like, this isn't my comment. This is just something I read, so don't be offended. But someone said he looks like a World Vision child. If you want an idea of, like, how this weight cut looks. Which, sometimes fighters look fucked immediately after a weight cut. And then they replenish, and they look much better. So, read into that what you will. But yeah, that was a takeaway. Uh, Two other takeaways. We've lost a fight from this main card. Uh, So it's now five fights on the main card. Edgar Chires and Daniel Da Silva. Uh, They were supposed to meet once again after their last fight. Uh, It was a false stoppage, really. Uh, But there was an issue with Da Silva, Lacerda, fucking make your mind up, mate. What's your fucking last name? Because it was Lacerda, then it's Da Silva. Now it's back to Lacerda. What's fucking going on? What is your last name? Uh, but yeah, he's not good to go, so that fight cancelled. So we got a five-fight main card. Uh, the first one I'm going to get into, Christian Rodriguez, Cameron MSP, Simon. Rodriguez has missed weight by four-plus pounds. Uh, so he's missed weight by heaps. Fucking pretty slack, to be honest. Rodriguez coming off that win against Raul Rosas Jr. Uh, by decision... And with that win, which I think Rodriguez may have even missed weight for that or whatever his last uh, scheduled fight was. Uh, But Christian Rodriguez beats Raul Rosas Jr. Had he beaten Cameron Simon here, like, he's in line to really make a bit of a superstar of himself. Doesn't make weight though, so yeah. Even if he does go on to win here, fuck, like, you're only really fucking yourself up because now... That huge step forward you would have taken in the division. You're not going to take. It realistically doesn't count. Because you've missed weight badly. So there you go. That's actually our opening fight too. we got five to get into. Now let's just immediately kick it off with our main card opener. Bantamweight division. Christian Rodriguez, 9-1 and one record. Up against Cameron MSP Simon, the South African a perfect 9-0, and looking to extend that to double digits. Simon, 22 years old. Uh, most of you may know him through his association with DDP, 
Dracus Duplessis, whilst Christian C. Rod Rodriguez, 25 years old, serious reach advantage here, and now coming off the weigh-ins, a serious weight advantage as well. Christian C. Rod Rodriguez trains at Rufus Port MMA, an American freestyle fighter with five first round finishes. Like I mentioned, C. Rod has a 9 and 1 record, that one being a loss to Jonathan Pierce, uh, his official UFC debut. After getting a win on Contender Series, uh, Rodriguez won by decision, doesn't get the contract, goes away and beats Ryan McIntosh. Uh, January 2022, and I don't have McIntosh's record in front of me, but from memory, fucking pretty average record, and respectfully, like, he would beat the shit out of me, but not a record that really propels you into the UFC. Uh, He takes a short-notice featherweight fight, which now, like, fuck, Rodriguez, you may as well just go to featherweight, because you don't even make weight at 135, and he was just out-muscled by the bigger man and JSP, Jonathan Pierce. Uh, so after that, we see Rodriguez come out, first round anaconda submission over Josh Weems, and then uh, a very clear-cut decision win where he absolutely schooled Raul Rosas Jr. So 9-1 record, uh, 7 of those wins finishes, 3 knockouts, 4 submissions, Uh, And that one loss, like I mentioned, a decision against Jonathan Pierce. But the biggest news, unfortunately, for a fighter I was really excited for, fucking huge weight miss. Really disappointing. Obviously, I don't have to cut weight, so it's easy to be critical. But it's also your fucking job. Like, don't don't say you're going to fight at this weight if you can't make it down there. If it's too much of a weight cut... Unfortunately, tough shit. You're going to have to fight up at featherweight. And it just seems like a case of maybe the cut down to bantamweight too much. But then at featherweight, we've seen like Rodriguez maybe just too small for the division. Uh, But that's his problem. Four pound weight miss. Fucking that's beyond average. On to Cameron, MSP Simon. Makes weight perfectly. A young professional. Of course has had a few instances in fights where maybe we would think Simon a dirty fighter. I think he's just, you know, he's still gaining experience. Definitely not a dirty fighter, uh, but we have seen some fouls throughout his short UFC tenure thus far. Simon is from Pretoria, South Africa, a 22-year-old training at Team CIT. He was 5-0 prior to earning his opportunity on Dana White's Contender Series. And I personally remember that fight quite well uh, because I got some juicy fucking odds for him to win by knockout. And that's exactly what he did. So Cameron Simon, that was about the point he really captured my attention. I think he may have even been underdog in that fight. I can't remember. Uh, But he takes on Josh Wang Kim. Totally just shows this full weaponry uh, that belies... The young age of this kid comes out, gets a third round knockout, UFC contract to boot. In his debut, uh, like I mentioned, in the next couple of fights, there were a few issues uh, with fouls, but I don't read too much into that. I don't think it's really a reflection of what MSP 
uh, is about. Takes on Steven Kozlo, gets the third round TKO. Then after that, takes on Mana Martinez, who may have even missed weight. I don't remember uh, per se exactly, but gets a majority decision over Mana Martinez. Then, most notably and recently, July this year, first round technical knockout over Terence Mitchell, uh, which respectfully doesn't seem like a hard thing to do at UFC level, because that's how everyone has beaten him. And again, he would fucking choke me out. This isn't me being a hater. Uh, but at the same time, it's not as big a first round finish as, say, you know, a guy floating just outside the rankings. But like I said, not a hater. So MSP now 9-0. and He's passed every assignment put in front of him, including this morning's weight cut. Uh, so fucking good on him for still taking this fight. Even though C-Rod, honestly bullshit to miss weight by that much. Really fucking slack. 9-0 uh, and is Cameron Simon. Six of those wins by knockout. Yet to lose a fight in his professional career. And yeah, look, C-Rod has the reach advantage. But I'm going with Cameron Simon. I already was uh, before the weight miss. And now with such a big weight miss... I don't really have any intention of changing my mind. I wrote down in my notes, winner surges toward the top 15. Not Rodriguez, if he wins this, unfortunately. It doesn't hold much weight. So here, had he made weight and gone on to win, he's looking at rankings. He's looking at fighting toward the belt. But unfortunately, self-inflicted issue for C-Rod, he's missed weight. So I think top 15 is a little while away. Now, whereas Simon, 9-0, chasing that perfect 10-0, his star is building with each passing fight. Uh, you look at Drikus Duplessis as well, uh, who he trains with and he learns a lot from. Simon is showing all the signs uh, that he could be a future title challenger. And I'm going to back him in here. I don't think he's going to stay undefeated forever. But when I look at certain fighters, I think, okay, is this the end of the road. Is this going to be the person uh, that manages to beat them? With uh, C-Rod, Christian Rodriguez, he could absolutely be the one to end this perfect run. But after such a big weight miss, there ain't no way I'm changing my mind. I'm going to take Cameron Simon by decision. Uh, knock out a possibility, but now he's giving up major advantage uh, in terms of weight. So I think he'll have to find a way against an opponent who, fuck, like, who knows where C-Rod's at? Is this going to be hugely beneficial for him because he'll be coming in heavier? Or is this a botched weight cut and a fighter who's just not ready to be competing tomorrow? We'll soon find out, but I'm going to go with the fighter that did make weight, Cameron MSP Simon, by unanimous decision. Speaking of guys who love to miss weight, uh, we got a short notice, rapid prediction up next. Demolidor, Michelle Pereira, up against Andre Petrosky. Pereira, last fight a year and a half ago, a win over Santiago Ponzinibbio, was supposed to face Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, missed weight, and that was it for Pereira at 170. 
Now, what is insane to me, Pereira came out in the last day or so. He said to get down to welterweight, he was essentially cutting about 46 pounds every fight camp, which is about, for us fucking Aussies, who don't fuck with pounds, that's like 20 kilos every fight camp. Insane. Insane. So the huge weight cuts, he should never have been at welterweight. That more a reflection of just where mixed martial arts is kind of at. And if you're not, you know, cutting as much weight as you can, you do put yourself at a major disadvantage because there are guys that are cutting huge amounts of weight. Uh, So it's essential to weight cut. Some guys get it right. Pereira, you could say he was, given that he's on a win streak, uh, but it's just not sustainable. Here he is making his debut at 185 pounds, a debut in the UFC. He has fought at middleweight previously, up against former Ultimate Fighter alum Andre Petrosky. 10 and 2 record. A Petrosky definitely much more of a natural middleweight. Uh, but given that this was put together on short notice, I'm also going to give my short notice prediction. I'm going to take Michelle Pereira, Demolador, uh, by decision. This fight intrigues me a lot, a lot, because Petrosky, very strong, an amazing grappler, whilst Michelle Pereira, we've seen with that capoeira style, very explosive, exciting, a striking style, and that was when he was fucking killing himself to get down to 170. So, look, one of the cons of fighting at middleweight could be uh, that he's just outmatched in terms of power and strength. But you'd have to imagine he's going to have a bit more zest not having to cut all that weight. So I actually expect a very exciting fight here. What leans me toward Pereira is that Petrosky is a phenomenal grappler. uh, But one critique, not from me, I'm not in the fucking, you know, in any position to critique. uh, But some fighters he's gone up against and some analysts is that he's just a bit stiff on the feet and going back and watching tape like you can definitely see that Petrosky by no means uh, does he offer a great range in terms of the stand-up so he's very heavily reliant on that jiu-jitsu game uh, whereas Michelle Pereira who's more of a striker uh, and we've seen how exciting his fights are uh, he can also grapple so that's kind of what lent me towards Pereira because I think on the feet, there's a clear discrepancy. And whilst Petrosky, I would say, is the better grappler, I'm just looking more at the all-around picture. Because it's one thing for Petrosky to control him on the mat, but if you can't get him there, well, what can you offer in the striking realm? I'm interested to see, because if Petrosky does come out uh, and really put on a show in the striking element of the fight, Well, that's a major tick and a major pass mark on the journey that he's on uh, to try and cement himself as a legitimate contender. Uh, So I wish Petrosky the best of luck. I've become a fan watching him fight. Uh, He's certainly got a level of confidence, which he will not be overawed in a fight against someone like Pereira, who's moving up in weight. Uh, But like I said, this pick solely down to who I think as far as an all-around game, 
has a bit more to offer, and that's Michel Pereira. I think he'll be able to deal with the grappling, whereas I don't know if Petrosky will be able to deal with the striking. So let's lock in the next pick on this card. I am going to take Michelle Pereira by decision. Alright, I'd like to preface this next preview just with a personal note. Sorry to make it about myself. Uh, I've just sat here for 10 minutes waiting for my stomach to stop growling. Um, not hungry, I just ate. Uh, but my stomach is growling like a motherfucker. I think 10 minutes seems to have subsided, but it got to the point where I was like, fuck, I don't think this is going to stop. And I got a podcast to record. So if you hear my stomach rumble, fucking I'm sorry. I am sorry. But we're going to push through, aren't we? On to some bantamweight division action, a fight uh, that I'm actually very excited about given the caliber of these two fighters. We've got Jonathan the Dragon Martinez up against Adrian Yanez. Should be an absolute banger at 135 pounds. Our same reach for these men, so they're relatively well matched uh, in terms of dimensions and both ranked in arguably the most stacked and dangerous division in the UFC, bantamweight. Uh, Martinez ranked 13th, Adrian Yanez ranked 14th, and I'll start with Jonathan the Dragon Martinez, who's not one to crave the spotlight and all the theatrics that come along. Uh, with Fight Week, we've seen he's usually not super eager for those pre-fight and post-fight interviews, doesn't seem to be his style. Uh, so I think fighting in the apex, it seems to suit Martinez uh, to a T. Now his actions speak much louder than his words. Five straight wins doing all the talking for Jonathan Martinez. There we, there we go. There's my fucking stomach. Uh, anyway, this five fight streak uh, began October 2021 with a decision win over Zviad Lavashvili. He parlays that into a decision win over Alejandro Perez, then a decision win over Vince Morales. So off the back of those three wins, Martinez starts to gather some steam within his division. He's on a bit of a roll. And then he gets the biggest matchup of his career to date, a co-main event spotlight up against Cub Swanson. Now Swanson, we've known him as a featherweight his whole career made the decision uh, to drop down to bantamweight for that fight. I believe his reasoning was to suffer more, which is interesting. Uh, that's just the kind of um, beast Cub Swanson is. Like, that just tells you the fucking intense mindset. Because I tell you what, I personally would probably be trying to do the one that makes me suffer less. Unfortunately, all the extra suffering didn't really do Cub a world of good, and Jonathan Martinez continuously chopping at those legs on the way to a second round technical knockout uh, with a leg kick. But it wasn't one big leg kick, it was death by a thousand cuts, and by the time it got to the last one, Cub's leg was mush. So that's four straight wins, but then March this year, Easily the most impressive of the lot. 
a decision win of the unanimous variety over Syed Nurmagomedov. Now, anyone whose name ends in Medov, usually you don't want to fucking fight those guys, especially if their last name is Nurmagomedov. Now, Syed had been thought of as a fighter who was on trajectory toward a title shot. He was really making waves within his division. Jonathan Martinez, as a sizable underdog, gets the victory. Fifth straight win, and now the Dragon... Well, he is really moving, cooking with gas, a wave of momentum behind the dragon. He will be taking on a fan favourite in Adrian Yanez, who will be looking to bounce back in a big way. Adrian is a Dana White's Contender Series graduate, class of 2020. And ever since Adrian stepped foot in the UFC, it's been excitement non-stop. Now, he lands in the UFC picks up five wins with four finishes to start his tenure. And that led to the biggest fight of his career, uh, which was back in April, a first round technical knockout loss against Rob Font. Uh, But quickly casting our eye over the five wins leading up to that loss, a first round head kick knockout of Victor Rodriguez, a third round knockout of Gustavo Lopez, a second round technical knockout of Randy Costa, a split decision over Davy Grant, uh, who interestingly was the last man to beat Jonathan Martinez. Then uh, probably the fight that really put Yanez on the map. We all knew uh, who he was and kind of the direction he was heading in. Uh, but then comes a fight against Tony Kelly, who just in the fight before, or cornering uh, his missus Andrea Lee, made a few comments about Brazilians being dirty. So Adrian Yanez, uh, he was an honorary Brazilian on this night, and he put Tony Kelly away with relative ease. First round technical knockout, absolutely flogged the bloke, and yeah, Brazilians, fucking Hispanic, American, fucking even us down here in Australia, we were all on board with Adrian Yanez. Then comes the biggest fight of his career in April. Uh, That was on the card where Israel Adesanya knocked out Pereira, and obviously the iconic archery celebration. Also quickly, some news breaking today, uh, Israel Adesanya plans to take an extended hiatus away from fighting. Said he's not retired, but it's going to be a long time before we see him fight. Uh, So I thought that was an interesting uh, bit of news, but we'll stick with the plan of what we're talking about here. Rob Font... Adrian Yanez, uh, the step up in competition didn't seem to suit Yanez that well. Rob Font showed exactly why uh, at points he's been a title contender. But one loss simply does not define a fighter. Adrian Yanez, we have seen enough to know this guy is the real deal. But his biggest challenge is going to be bouncing back and not bouncing back against any scrub either. Whilst you could say it's a step down in competition, not by much, not by much at all. You're still fighting a ranked opponent that's actually ahead of you, and it is going to be one hell of a test for Adrian Yanez. Now, as far as what's at stake, a top 10 competition and a genuine path to the championship. Winner of this 
Look, they aren't fighting for the belt next. There's still a lot to play out at 135. Looks like Sugar Sean and Cheeto up next. You've still got to factor in Corey Sandhagen, Umar Namagamedov, a Henry Cejudo, Mirab Davlashvili are set to fight each other as well. So there are a lot of moving parts. But one thing is clear. The winner of this fight, heading into the 2024 calendar year, they're going to be working toward a title shot. No mistake about that. So there is plenty at stake in this main card matchup. Uh, and just checking out the profile of Adrian Yanez, uh, the Texan is 29 years old, training at Metro Fight Club. Yanez is a boxer with six first round finishes on his resume. He's also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, uh, which I found interesting considering Martinez a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue belt. So both of these guys definitely more known for their striking. But if you look on paper, this would suggest that Yanez potentially has a bit of an edge if this fight hits the mat. I mean, black belt to blue belt, that's, that's a pretty decent gap coming uh, from a pretty legit white belt over here. I know my shit. Uh, now, four performance of the night bonuses for Yanez. One fight of the night. So every time he's involved, it's a highlight. Even in a loss last time out, every time Yanez is in the octagon, we are treated to an absolute show. Now, looking at the record for Adrian, 16 wins, four losses, three of his four losses by decision. The only stoppage loss in the career of Yanez last time out against Rob Font. Uh, so it'll be interesting how he handles that from a mental perspective, it's definitely a hurdle you have to overcome uh, to get put away in the fashion that he did last time out. Even if it's just a tiny bit, it's definitely going to take a bit of a, a chip out of your confidence. And all of a sudden that, you know, that bravado that Yanez had when he'd walk forward trying to put hands on his opponent, now there's just that little voice in the back of his head just reminding him, of what happened last time. Uh, but look, Yanez is a gun, so I don't think he's going to be hampered too much, and it's pretty fucking rare, unless you are just otherworldly, to go your whole career without being stopped at some point. But as far as stoppages, Yanez, much more about handing them out than being on the receiving end. 16 victories, 12 of those coming inside the distance, 63% of wins by knockout or technical knockout, 10 victories uh, by that method. So my biggest question on the Adrian Yanez side of things, can he put Martinez away inside the distance? Well, if he does, that font loss will quickly be forgotten about and he'll be back on track uh, towards a potential main event. I'd say that's the next step uh, before title shot. But let's get to his opponent, Jonathan the Dragon Martinez, also a Texan, also 29 years of age, training at Factory X under Mark Montoya. And look, we've seen time and time again, Factory X, that is a world-class gym, and they usually come up with very sound game plans as to how to deal with their opponents. So that does give me a lot of confidence for Jonathan Martinez, 
uh, the fact that his gym and his coaches like Mark Montoya, they are going to put together a very sound strategy and game plan uh, for him to follow and get his hand raised. Now, the Dragon is a freestyle fighter riding a five-fight win streak into Vegas this weekend. Two performance of the night bonuses, and Martinez is a former extreme fighting league flyweight and bantamweight champion. Now, the only stoppage loss for Jonathan was a second-round knockout uh, up against Davy Grant. Interesting again that Davy Grant, uh, an opponent that Yanez has been able to defeat. Five consecutive victories since that loss, though, and Martinez will be looking for his sixth straight. 18-4 and four record for the Dragon. Uh, he does have one disqualification loss. That was prior to the UFC. Uh, up against UFC contracted star Matt Schnell. Uh, two losses by decision and one finish. Uh, but looking at the wins for Martinez. Eight wins by knockout, eight by decision, two by submission. 18-4 and four record in total. Final thoughts on the fight. I do wonder if Adrian Yanez is going to look to utilize uh, what I would assume is a major grappling advantage. Both guys can offer plenty on the feet, so if you're looking for a point of difference, the grappling, absolutely there for Yanez. Uh, for Jonathan Martinez, he's got a great variation in terms of his striking, not just to the head, a lot of body attacks as well, and chops up the leg, as we saw in that Cub Swanson fight. So if the fight does stay standing, I think the longer it goes, the more it's going to favor Martinez. And I think the biggest example of how durable both of these guys are, 42 fights between them, and they've only been stopped once, uh, respectively, each. So that is plenty of fights where someone hasn't been able to work out how to stop them. With that being said, the numbers would suggest this fight goes the distance. However, you have someone like Adrian Yanez, who is a bona fide fight finisher, and I do not imagine he would care much for the numbers. I do, though. I think this fight goes the distance, and I'm going with Jonathan Martinez. I'd been following him along this run that he'd been on, then I went away from him in the Syed Namagomedov fight, and I was proven very wrong. Uh, so I rate both fighters highly. We'll be happy for whoever gets their hand raised. But let's lock in our next pick of the night. I'm going to take Jonathan the Dragon Martinez by decision. Co-main event time. In a division that isn't just my favorite. Uh, out of the female ranks. This is one of my favorite divisions. Full stop right now. Women's flyweight. Alexa Grasso at the top of the pack. The champion. You've got Valentina Shevchenko. Erin Blanchfield. Manon Fior. Plenty of uh, title challenges right there. Talia Santos. But taking part in this co-main event, we have the ninth ranked Jennifer Meyer formally challenged for the belt in a losing effort against Shevchenko in a fight that went the distance. Up against Viviani Araujo. Uh, now, Viviani 
on a two-fight slide. So she'll be looking to bounce back uh, Will the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, also a black belt in Luta Livre. Viv Araujo is a Brazilian, much like her opponent in Maya, training at Cerrado MMA. 11-5 record for Viv, four of her five losses are coming by way of decision, and the only time she was stopped was all the way back in 2017, well before her time in the UFC. Uh, now looking at the wins for Viv, three wins by knockout, four by submission, four by decision, uh, but she has lost three of her past four. Lost to Catelyn Chikagin by decision, then picked up a win over Andrea Lee, uh, and then back-to-back losses against Alexa Grasso, who would then go on to become champion, and Amanda Rebus, uh, who would go on to get finished by Macy Barber last time out. Uh, so for Araujo, she's in around that top 10 mark. She could be a fresh title challenger, but a third consecutive loss, and that could be enough to bundle her out of the rankings altogether. She'll be taking on Jennifer Meyer, who I really believe is in a purple patch at the moment. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, as well as being a Muay Thai black belt, uh, also Brazilian, like her opponent. 21 wins, 9 losses, and 1 draw for Jennifer Meyer. I saw a lot more MMA experience, 12 of her 21 wins coming by way of decision, and 7 of her 9 losses coming by way of decision. Now, she was in a similar boat was Maya. She'd lost three of her past four uh, going into a fight against Marina Moroz. But then she picks up a decision, parlays that into a very impressive decision over King Casey O'Neill. So you have Viviani Araujo, two-fight losing streak, up against Jennifer Maya on a two-fight win streak. Uh, now, there's not too much science behind my selection here. Uh, but I went back and watched the tape, and like I said, I believe Jennifer Meyer is in a real purple patch right now. That doesn't mean that Viviani Arujo uh, can't come out and put on an absolute masterclass, but I think their trajectories uh, could be telling as to which way this goes. Two-fight slide versus two-fight streak. I believe it becomes a three-fight slide and a three-fight win streak. I'm going to take Jennifer Meyer by unanimous decision. And now that Valentina is no longer the champion, this could be the opening Maya needs to fight back toward another shot at the belt. Uh, so it's a big, big fight for both these ladies. Co-main event spotlight. Uh, and they are world-class women's flyweight competitors. Uh, but I'm going to lock in Jennifer Meyer by decision. Main event time. And in the words of the Black Eyed Peas, let's get it started. Let's get it started. The main event in the featherweight division. 11th ranked, Super Sadiq Yusuf, who we haven't seen in just a tick over a year. Last we saw him, well, 30 seconds was all it took for him to get his hand raised. Super Sadiq sits just outside the division's top 10, biggest opportunity of his career. Also, shout out to Sadiq, uh, because 
on his Instagram and I believe YouTube, he puts out some very funny, entertaining pics week to week. Uh, So shout out to him. He's going to be taking on one of my personal favorites in the 13th ranked Edson Jr. Barboza. Five rounds in a featherweight main event, 25 minutes to decide it, and it is going to be very intriguing to see uh, whether two guys who have pretty big weight cuts uh, can actually manage to go the full 25-minute distance. Uh, Now, I'm just going to pull up the tail of the tape. Please bear with me. Technical difficulties. Fuck me, Dad. Um, Here we go. Tail of the tape for our main event. Sadiq Youssef, 13-2 and record. Edson Barboza, 23-11. and Seven years in age separating these men. Barboza, 37. Uh, While Sadiq, still you'd have to say, probably yet to enter his prime at just 30 years of age. A slight height advantage, pretty sizable reach advantage of over 10 centimeters in favor of the Brazilian. But I'll start with the Nigerian first, Super Sadiq Youssef. Like I mentioned, 13 wins, two losses on his record. Now Sadiq carries two consecutive wins into this fight and overall has six wins by knockout and five first round finishes. Sadiq will be repping Team Lloyd Irvin, and like I said, biggest fight of his career to date. Now, Sadiq would get his opportunity in the UFC via Dana White's Contender Series. He won a contract and started pretty flash under the UFC banner. 4-0 for Yusuf to begin his tenure, and then in April 2021, uh, the first loss of his UFC run, second loss as a pro, up against Arnold Almighty Allen. Uh, so that was a co-main event fight, only three rounds, uh, but on that occasion, it was Arnold Allen, who I believe is ranked fourth in the division currently, uh, who was able to progress forward. For Sadiq though, he took that loss, he learned from it, and has bounced back with back-to-back wins since. Uh, now the first of those was a unanimous decision up against Alex Caceres, a very game opponent, uh, no matter how you slice it. And then, more recently, or semi-recently, over a year ago now, a 30-second submission win over shameless Don Shanus, who we actually saw in Perth earlier this year. So that was very light work for Sadiq. I remember that fight. He came out before I could even settle in my seat. It was over. Big win, but of course, Dom Shanus was a short-notice opponent. From memory, it might have been Giga Chikadze that was supposed to be in that spot. Uh, So he gets a win, short-notice opponent, who actually wasn't in the UFC prior to that fight. So for Sadiq, it was a huge win, but a year has passed. There is a lot of movement going on around this division. Now for Sadiq, the big assignment crack the division's top 10. And it is not going to be easy because he is taking on Danger Personified, the legendary Brazilian striker from Rio de Janeiro, Edson Junior Barbosa. Once an absolute beast in the lightweight division, now competing at 145. So it is a massive cut. It is quite interesting. I think a lot of people would have thought if Edson was to shift 
from lightweight that would actually be up to welterweight. So it's a big cut for someone 37 years of age to be making, but I trust Edson knows a bit more about what he's doing than I do sitting on my ass right now. Uh, but worth mentioning for sure. Now the American top team product Barboza has gone three and three since moving down, which kind of surprised me because he has had some really epic moments. So when I actually went back and looked, three and three. So it's not like he's blazing toward a title shot. He's been steady, uh, but up against some of the best the division has to offer, he has fallen short. Now, three wins, three losses at 145. The three losses, uh, one was a decision against Dan Ige, ranked opponent. Uh, The other, five-round main event, and it did not go the distance, a technical knockout loss up against Giga Chikadze. Uh, So that was the last time we saw Barboza in a main event. And of course, the first time at UFC level, we'll see Yusuf in a main event. Uh, The other loss... In this featherweight, uh, featherweight run, featherweight, fucking hell, uh, Bryce Mitchell. And in that fight, look, Bryce Mitchell is a gun. Is he a bit of a fucking dumbass as well? Yeah, but, you know, I'm, I'm not judging, fi- I'm here to just judge purely fighting, you know, not any of the other stuff, like whatever the fuck Bryce Mitchell's last post-match interview was. Uh, but Bryce Mitchell, unbelievable. One of the real legit threats in this division and in that fight Barboza just it couldn't get out of those uh, grappling and wrestling exchanges he was kept down on the mat pretty much rendered obsolete for the full 15 minutes not something we're used to seeing uh, from Barboza and it was kind of reminiscent of when he took on Habib Namagomedov and was just totally shut down uh, like Namagomedov just had no regard for the dangerous striking that Barboza possesses. Which, it's one thing to have no regard for it and shut his game plan down, but we have seen a lot of guys try to have no regard for it and get knocked the fuck out. Uh, So Bryce Mitchell, Giga Chikadze, Dan Ige, those were the losses. And I think the Bryce Mitchell one jumped out to me the most in terms of path to victory. It seems like the clear path to victory to beat Barboza is to actually wrestle him, keep him down on the mat. Much easier said than done. And of course, Sadiq Yusuf, his takedown game at UFC level, basically non-existent. Like that is not where his bread is butted. But essentially the path to victory, the way that I see anyone being able to shut Barboza down has to be in the wrestling realm. If you try and strike with this guy, good luck. He's as technical as any, as powerful as any, as precise as any. Like Barboza's entire wheelhouse is in the striking. Uh, So I think for Sadiq Yusuf, that's one thing I expect him to implement. To try and bring uh, maybe more wrestling than we've been accustomed to seeing. Now, I said three wins, three losses for Edson since moving down. I spoke about the three losses. Let's get into the three wins. He had a unanimous decision victory over Marquan Amikani, uh, who has one of the better tapology photos. If you haven't seen it, go have a look. Uh, Matt Frivola has a great tapology photo as well. 
uh, but unanimous decision win over Armakani, a very impressive knockout over Shane Burgos, and in his last fight, after copping a couple of losses, Barboza bounces back in a major way, first round knockout over Billy Quarantillo. Uh, and what was really impressive here was just once again, just that striking acumen of Edson Barboza. And this time it wasn't necessarily uh, like an offensive play that got him the knockout. It was actually that fight IQ and defensive prowess uh, that led Billy Q right into his trap. Now it's first round, Billy Q's having a little bit of success. Uh, he's going high and then he's going for the level change, which like I said, I think the best path to victory to stop Barboza is to get him to the mat. Now, you can't just do that. You're going to have to throw in some level changes. Make him second guess. Because if he knows without a shadow of a doubt that you're just trying to take him to the mat, well, he can game plan for that. So Billy Q, he's trying to take the fight to the mat, disguising that with his striking. The only problem is he's kind of falling into this repetitive motion where he's going up high and then he's level changing and then he's going up high and he's level changing. Billy Q, unbelievably talented fighter, but that was a big mistake against Edson Barboza, who by this point, he's telegraphed what's happening, he's downloaded his data, Billy Q goes high, drops down low for the level change, fucking whooshka, knee right on the jaw, Billy Q is out, out cold. And that was all it took. That tells you, even at 37 years of age, just how dangerous Edson Barboza is. And this wasn't one of his signature crazy knockouts where he's really on the attack. This was perfect defense. He read exactly what Billy Q was going to do and he knocked him out. So for Sadiq Yusuf, that is what I'm most interested to see. What is his game plan? Is he going to try and strike, or is the plan to get it to the mat? Because the first bit of tape he would be going back and watching is Billy Q level changing and getting fucking flush knocked out. So that was highly impressive, and overall, Edson has 14 wins by knockout. Now let me compare that to how many wins full stop Sadiq Yusuf has on his record. 13 wins in total for Sadiq. Edson has 14 wins by knockout alone. So once again, that tells you what an impressive specimen Edson Barboza is. One of my favorites to watch for such a long time now. The big question, how much longer does he have at the absolute top of his game? Because cutting down to featherweight, it is a huge ask. Now Sadiq Yusuf, he also cuts quite a bit of weight, but he's only 30 years of age. So that is something, like I don't mention it in every fight, but this is definitely a fight for me uh, where the weight cut becomes a lot more relevant. Back to Barboza though, 14 wins by knockout, eight first round finishes. And when I look at Barboza's losses, he's had four uh, by way of knockout slash technical knockout, uh, one that sticks out, Justin Gaethje, so it can certainly be done. Two submission losses and five decision losses. But for Barboza, we don't really remember his losses. 
We certainly remember his wins. So many highlight reel knockouts on his resume. I mean, the Terry Eaton one comes immediately to mind. Spinning wheel kick knockout. He was known when he first came in for just having these nasty kicks to the leg, to the body. Like he was finishing fights with kicks. Lethal speed, unbelievable precision. Edson Barboza, I mean, if he is even close to what we've known to be his best, fuck, he definitely could still push toward a featherweight championship opportunity. The one thing, Father Time. Really, time is of the essence here. And you'd have to say for Barboza, sitting 13th in the division, 37 years old, a legendary career that will be remembered forever, no matter the result this weekend. But for Barboza, this could be his last genuine crack at fighting toward a title shot. In fact, that's almost a certainty, you'd have to say. Uh, So for Edson, he is going to lay it all on the line and very interested to see uh, what happens after the result and where Edson goes from here and where Sadiq goes from here. I guess most important thing for both is getting their hand raised. Uh, Now stylistically, I've already spoken about best path to victory for Sadiq. I think it's getting it to the mat uh, not only because you limit Barboza's striking, but like I mentioned, the weight cut. If you can really just get on top of him, force him to drain as much energy as he can, or as you can, uh, then in the latter rounds, you can take advantage of that. The only problem, once again, Sadiq Yusuf cuts a lot of weight himself. You've got to make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. And if he's putting in uh, like too much energy into trying to keep Barboza down, fucking hell could totally backflip in the latter rounds uh, where Barboza can put him away on the feet. So there are a lot of elements to this fight that make it interesting. The most interesting to me, as I'm sure you can tell, uh, is the 25-minute aspect and the weight cut because Barboza did not look good. He did not look good. And no one really looks good at a weigh-in, but there are varying levels as to how someone looked, and it looked like a 37-year-old guy who's been fighting for a long time, who's pretty much on fucking death's door, trying to make uh, this weight, which is just wild. Like, you look at the shape of the man, Edson Barboza. I've heard John Annex say this about another fighter uh, in terms of physique, but I'm going to pinch one of John Annex's many unbelievable lines. But you look at Barboza, physically and it's like fuck i wish i could have a body like that just to go to the beach for the day he looks like a fucking statue so he's not cutting fat he's certainly not cutting fat a lot of it's water weight but yeah you look at some of these guys who are just shredded by the time they're there at the weigh-ins and those are the ones that have the hardest cut i believe So that's my main talking point, most definitely. Uh, For Sadiq Yusuf, one point I also made in my research, I think he's been working very hard on the weight cut side of his game and like working with dietitians and all that shit. Like I I don't weight cut. I probably should have fucking got a bit of a 
belly going on right now. Uh, but yeah, I don't know the full intricacies of it, but it seems like that is a side of his game uh, that has really come along in the last year or so. So I think Sadiq Yusuf is going to be a bit better prepared. It's Edson that I am quite curious about. Back to stylistic though, I mean striking easily the edge goes to Edson Barboza. He is a wizard on the feet. We've seen that with his many, 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 many knockouts. Like I mentioned, he has more knockout wins than Sadiq has wins full stop. So the guy has the striking acumen. Can he keep it going for the full five rounds though? Wrestling, I also mentioned that. Uh, this definitely more so for Sadiq Yusuf. Try and get this fight down to the mat because from the tape I've watched, that seems to be the best way to approach Barboza. I don't think there is a lot of merit in trying to stand in front of this guy because then all of a sudden, instead of leaving the door ajar, you're blowing the door wide open because Barboza is so comfortable in the striking realm. At weight cut, I've mentioned that about a hundred times, so we'll skim through that on the notes. 25 minute factor. For a while I was thinking, fuck, does this go the distance? I'm going to say it doesn't. All this weight cut chat has led me to say, I think this ends within 25 minutes. Now, they're both professionals, they're athletes, they're fighters. They can definitely get through 25 minutes of action. I'm sure training, uh, they've been able to do it. But it's one thing getting through 25 minutes at training. It's another when you have a world-class opponent standing across the cage and you don't really know where this fight's going to take place. You'd presume striking, uh, but in the apex, quite a lot of the time, given the smaller size, we see a lot of clinching against the cage. It does tend to favor those who use a grappling base, uh, which Yusuf doesn't really. But if he wants to, like I said, he can close the distance a lot easier here in the smaller cage. And that seems to be the way uh, to deal with Barboza. If you are going to stand and strike with him, you have to close the distance. Barboza is so comfortable at range, he will just pick you apart, and before you know it, you'll be on the canvas. So for Sadiq, he either needs to get the fight to the mat, or close distance, and be very, very cautious. Because Barboza, probably one of the last guys in the division that you want to be playing these games with. Final thoughts on the contest. Look, it's a pretty fun card and a fun main event, but I must be honest, and all respect to the fighters who are putting their lives on the line, I'm ready to get to UFC 294. And once I wrap this podcast up, I'm getting onto my tape, I'm getting onto my study, I'm getting onto all the research, and getting ready for that predictions podcast, and then to actually watch the pay-per-view. So final thoughts. This is a really fun main event, but I'm about ready now uh, to start my 294 prep. Now tomorrow, thoughts and comments. So today, predictions, preview. Tomorrow, I'm going to be watching the card, giving live reactions, and about an hour after tomorrow's card is finished, I'll be posting the full thoughts and comments podcast. How does it work? If you haven't heard it before, 
Uh, essentially, I watch the prelims, which take place starting 7 a.m. Uh, in the morning, Australia time. Then between prelims and main card, podcast starts. I give some quick thoughts on the prelims, and then we go fight by fight, live reactions on the main card. So like I said, not a lot of final thoughts on this matchup, but I'll be touching on everything UFC Vegas tomorrow. So we're not just going to fully skim over the card. UFC 294 has piqued my interest, uh, but we will be getting amongst the live reactions pod. But before we finish off, main event prediction. I'm going to take Sadiq Yusuf by knockout. I'm not super confident in this for a lot of the week. Kind of the vision I was seeing, not that that means shit, uh, was Sadiq winning this fight with wrestling and top control and clinch work and things like that. Uh, so knockout could be a bit of a stretch. I mean, Edson Barboza, like I said, he is the significantly better striker. But I've clearly been influenced uh, by what I saw at the weigh-ins today. Edson Barboza just, yeah, it didn't look great. 37 years old, to get down to that weight, it's a massive ask. So I'm going to take Sadiq Youssef by a knockout, probably more technical knockout. I think maybe ground and pound situation or something like that. I think it could be latter rounds. I think they'll go for a little while, uh, but fatigue is going to come into play here. I just think if it gets to the championship rounds, both these guys are going to be vulnerable. What happens if neither guy has much left in the tank? Well, then it could be, you know, 10 minutes of trying to fight uh, to get the judges' attention. But I think somewhere along the line, one of these guys, the weight cut is just going to prove too much. And I think that's going to be the case for Edson Barboza. So to finish off, let's lock it in. Final pick. Of Vegas 81, Super Sadiq Yusuf to get the job done by technical knockout. And that's the pod. Now I'm going to go watch some UFC 294 tape, start to get prepared. And like I said, tomorrow, thoughts and comments. So today, all about asking some questions. Tomorrow, live reactions. We're going to discuss the answers. Hope you enjoyed today's pod. Hope you can join me for tomorrow's, but until then, nothing else to do but get amongst it. Thank you for listening, and most importantly, enjoy the fights tomorrow.